0: Welcome to the Latitude Podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with founders, funders, operators, and investors. We're 43 North, a startup accelerator based in Buffalo, New York, that invests $5 million per year in high growth companies.
1: Since 2014, 43 North has grown its portfolio to over 60 companies with multiple exits. We're excited to bring you the perspective of a growing startup ecosystem through chats with founders and funders within our portfolio and across the globe.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Latitude with 43 North. I'm Justine Palkowski, the Senior Marketing Manager. And I'm Cindy Sedaris, the Senior Platform Manager. And we are welcomed by our guest today, CJ Maurer, right? (laughs) CJ Maurer from the Gist Inbound, um, who just spoke with our founders today to to do a fireside chat um, talking about deal design and pipeline and CRM application. So we are going to dive into some of that stuff with CJ today. So, But why don't you just start off by telling us who you are, what you do, and how you came here today?
2: Uh, great question. I'm CJ. I am the founder of The Gist. We're actually based right here in this tower, just a couple of floors down. We specialize in inbound marketing. Basically, like we have this vision that um, growth should be inherent to a company and 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 how it grows and thrives, not supplemental or additive or something like you do when you feel like it. So that ultimately translates into like SEO and content marketing, sales enablement customer engagement stuff, and then obviously orchestrating that through CRM configuration. And as HubSpot solutions partners, that's really where our focus is.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And just, you know, as a sidebar, this is not affiliated at all with HubSpot, but since you're a HubSpot um, certified user, we're just going to throw that out there. Um, No... Yes. You know, not sponsored by HubSpot not today, but we will be talking HubSpot. about HubSpot. Um just so for people that, you know, maybe we have some new entrepreneurs or startup founders and they don't know, you know, they're they're entrepreneurs, they're not marketers. Can you just talk about what is inbound marketing?
2: Sure. Um inbound marketing is the premise of trying to attract new business instead of going out and hunting them and interrupting them, right? When you think about the traditional way of growing, um we would run ads on television or the radio or the newspaper, right? And obviously advertising has a long history. Like we, there are iconic brands because of advertising. I am not saying it doesn't work, but inherently advertising is interrupting people with messages that they often don't want to hear at times they don't want to hear them. Same kind of thing with cold calling. It can work, right? But it's very laborious. It's a numbers game. The alternative is to um, position your business as a thought leader, an industry leader, an expert by helping people, producing content, and engaging people in a variety of ways so that when somebody maybe isn't necessarily searching for you but searching for your solution or a problem that you solve, they find you, they come to your website, they subscribe, they request a quote, right? So the idea of building a system that is sustainable and in attracting new prospects and customers,
0: right. And then what you do as well as you take those prospects and you help nurture them and hopefully yeah. turn them into sales, right?
2: Yeah. So if like you want to start from the outside in, which is funny because normally when we're um, helping clients, we we kind of view growth from the inside out, right? In the sense that um, the best way to grow is a is a sticky product and a delightful experience because if you have a happy and engaged customer base, they'll retain, they'll refer, right? They'll be evangelists for you. Um, But most people think about it from the outside in. So that starts with like SEO and content marketing, like make sure your website can be found, make sure you produce content. I always say that like Google's biggest turn on is original quality content, right? That's one of the easiest ways to get found. There's no hack, there's no cheat code. It's that laborious way of showing up and doing the work and being helpful and eventually it will pay dividends. So that's really um, that's really where it starts. And then beyond that, right? like the goal is not to just get somebody to your website. The goal is for them to do something, right? And so hopefully, maybe somebody is on your website and they are interested in your services, making making it easier for them to inquire. Um, but as we know, like sometimes product purchase cycles are long and and somebody, not everybody who visits your website is interested. So can you give somebody who maybe is in your target market, but maybe isn't ready to buy an opportunity to still engage with you so that they don't go to your site and leave, forget about you. That's where like content really comes into play. You could do something simple like an email subscription or um, offering guides and calculators. and
0: Little freebies.
2: Exactly, right? Something where you can now capture that um, that contact in your CRM You have that email address and if you don't abuse the privilege of the attention that they gave you by spamming them like if you've ever given your email address to banana republic like forget about that um but if you don't abuse that privilege and continue to show up and add value you can nurture that relationship and the beauty of that is um as you continue to to do these things and build these assets. you start to experience the compounding benefits. It's very scalable. So if you do a a set amount of blog posts or, or podcast episodes or email blasts every single month, it takes you the same amount of time to do all that, but your domain authority grows, your traffic grows, your leads grow, your subscriber base grows. So it's compounding benefits for essentially fixed inputs, which is like the inherent scalability of inbound, as opposed to traditional outbound That's a faucet you turn on and off. If you want to run Facebook ads, you want to run run Google ads, you pay, and then you stop paying and they go away, right? Our clients who have been invested in inbound for months, if not years, not that they're going to do this, but in theory, they could just all take a vacation and do no marketing for a month. But all of that content is still being indexed by Google. All the traffic's going to come in, the leads are going to come in, the automated lead assigning and routing, it's just still going to work. So it's it's building a scalable and sustainable ecosystem that is as permanent as anything can be in business these
1: days. This this sounds like a dream. I feel like people listening are probably like, wait a minute, you're telling me I, as a founder can go on a vacation and things will just be set up to run yeah. successfully with them. That
2: actually is how it works. But then what's the trade-off? It requires commitment and patience, right? Nothing... Nothing that's really worth building, right, can be done so easily as founders of all people will know, right? So you need to be in it for the long haul and you need to not be expecting some dramatic results in a month or two, right? These are things that take time where if you're doing it right, after a handful of months, you'll start to see some early returns and some leading indicators, Um, but it may be a year or two before before it's really like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we ever didn't do it this way. And now, you know... It's like it's like having a, an extra salesperson or two that's constantly generating business.
0: Yeah, technology has helped so much with automation and even platforms like Dubsado or HubSpot or something. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, somebody lands on your your website and goes to your pricing page, you can automatically send them an email with the pricing or redirect yeah. somewhere else. And it's just, it's a really good tool, whether you're, you know, a small photographer or a startup founder or everywhere in between.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people roll their eyes at some of those features um, because I think when they originally came out, uh, marketers really didn't use them the right way right like it's all spammy it's it's annoying but i think over time i think people have um uh, tempered their aggression for to go for the pitch and now you can really use them contextually in a lot of ways so like if you have a product page about i don't know email marketing right um you could have a pop up that shows up and offer somebody like a free guide on email marketing and you can like only trigger that pop-up when somebody's been on the site, on the page for like 30 seconds, right? So you're not just totally killing them. So you can be a little bit respectful of somebody's time and, and interests and, and really use it to, to be helpful. And I think when you constantly like aim to help people, um, you don't have to hit them over the head with it. They just get it. They just, they see that, wow, this is helpful. They know what they're doing. I the trust is building. Um, even if they don't really realize it at the time.
0: Yeah. And people, they want that instant gratification, you know, so 30 seconds, you know, they're invested. They're looking at your website. They are interested in what you have to offer. So then if you give them a freebie or something, they're like, okay, you know, I, I'm getting it now. I don't have to yeah. wait for you to call me tomorrow or wait to set up an appointment or something.
2: Well, think about it this way, right? Like I, I learned this years ago. Um, and this is true for, for, especially in the B2B space. I was talking about this earlier in the, in the fireside chat, right? Most B2B companies sell products that have longer product purchase cycles, right? It's not like going out to eat, right? You need to eat three times a day. So you're in the market for food at multiple times every day, right? You're in the market for, I don't know, a new gallon of milk every week, right? A lot of times, like the products and services that these B2B companies are selling, people might take months, if not years, to be in the market for. So if you were to think about the person in your life that you trust more than anyone else, right? You don't have to say it, just think it, right? And if I were to ask you, okay, at what moment did that person prove their trustworthiness in overwhelming fashion? You probably can't think of just like one time, right? Because what actually happens is we observe people consciously or subconsciously just doing the things a trustworthy person would do, saying the things a trustworthy person would say until ultimately when it came time to make a decision, about them on behalf of their trustworthiness, like, should I marry them? Should I lend them money? Should I go into business with them, Whatever it is, you knew what to do, right? Because it just had happened. And I think that's the the mindset that a lot of founders, especially in the B2B space, uh, need to have, realize that, okay, yes, of course we want to get in front of all of the people who are ready to buy now. But in a world where we can't change somebody's readiness to buy, We need to be best positioned to wait it out and nurture that relationship in the process. So when they are ready to buy, they know us, they like us, and hopefully they prefer us.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's, you know, in talking to founders, it's like everyone is trying to get a sales pipeline, a deal pipeline going, and it can almost feel like a failure sometimes if someone's like a no, but... I want to go back to you mentioned the fireside chat. Um, we were excited to have you speak to our founders um, on deal pipeline design. And something you said in that that I thought was really interesting was like most of your, I guess, responses or feedback from potential customers will probably be a no. But it's how do you take that and think of it as it's a no right now. Um, And how do you get to a yes? So I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more on that and just Kind of what you observed talking with our founders as well. a Bit of a two-parter. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, the founders were very—they were great. They asked great questions. They seemed very receptive. Um, we happened to work with with one of the founders of uh, the most recent cohort, and have met a couple too uh, over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's the simple premise that most deals in for most businesses in most industries like lose, right? Like you don't—you win less than fifty percent of the deals most of the time, and. Uh, Most businesses, the way they structure that pipeline, what does that mean? It just means that, okay, they drag it to a closed loss stage and that's it. It's not counted toward uh, projections or forecasting. Um, Maybe sometimes somebody might put them on a nurture, but the reality is on top of, um, well, really a lot of things, the first thing that you want to think about is, did you capture relevant information on that deal in the early stages, even before you know it was going to lose, right? The source, the industry, the size, their pain points. Whatever else you could gather during your normal sales process, discovery meetings, demos, things like that. Um, so then, when it is once it's lost, right, you can really start to analyze um, not just for that particular opportunity, but in an aggregate. What what are the commonalities in the deals that we're losing? Like, and can that inform decisions like, oh, we need to get better in this way, or setting this expectations, or you know, we're lacking this product feature. So if we improve this. You know, maybe we can win more of these deals, or maybe sometimes it's illuminating to the point where we actually are just never going to be competitive in this subset of the market. So let's not even bother. Let's not waste our time. Um, On top of that, I think, you know, by requiring your sales reps to, when they move a deal to close lost, indicate, is there a chance to win this back? And what is a good follow up date? A good CRM should be able to automate those notifications when that follow up date arrives so that you can reach back out and kind of close the loop on that. And, and again, that's just a simple way to build growth levers into a seemingly innocuous process of moving a deal to close loss. But now we've, we've we've optimized it for growth. And that's really what we we talk about when we talk about like organic growth and building growth into the design of the company and not viewing it as a supplemental thing, right? The, the supplemental additive Oh, growth is just something that marketing and sales does would be when the deal is closed lost, it would be, okay, let's, uh, let's just do an email blast to all closed lost deals at one random time, right? Instead of adding a little bit more context and, and following up uh, the way that is a little bit more intuitive to that particular conversation and doing it for all.
0: What about a deal that is lost because they went to a competitor and maybe it was close and you're almost mm-hmm. identical. But for whatever reason, they went to the competitor and they come back and they say, we, you know, we signed a one year contract. So, yeah, is that something that you would still
2: nurture Very or would you. So. Um, within context, right. You obviously have to respect somebody's decision. And so I think if you are going to nurture somebody who explicitly in that instance went another direction and is clearly not going to be in the market worth talking to for at least another nine or 10 months. Yeah. You can nurture them. I would put them on some type of like, whether it's a monthly email newsletter or a a helpful educational nurture, do not pitch them. It's going to come across as greedy and inconsiderate and honestly just not smart. So, you know, if you, if you have ongoing content that is educational and sharing resources that are, you know, Company agnostic, platform agnostic, things that anybody in your target market could benefit from. Yes, maybe uh, you know some problems will amount with the competitor that they chose, and they might think, "Wow, we're not, we're not getting this from from these guys. Maybe we should go back to these people over here because we're not even paying them, and they're giving us all of this great content." Right? Uh, one of our one of the things like our clients who are content heavy like to say in sales pitches when somebody compliments them on the content is we'll just imagine how much value we can bring when you actually pay us, you know?
0: Yeah, we had a company do that with 43 North. They actually just like set us up on their system um, you know, we didn't sign up, or we never talked to them. That was just kind of their sales, their you know, sales strategy, and got our attention. We were like, "Whoa, what is this? Yeah. How can we use this?" And we ended up signing with them because they did that. Um, That's cool. Yeah, wow. and and it firsthand, was- it works. It does work. <laughs> it works firsthand. You know, it was also a customer service thing for us too. They were really great to work with and onboard. But yeah, it works when you see the value of something without yeah. paying for it. And
2: that's actually a content offer too. When when I say. I feel like when I talk about content offers, people are like, yeah, we get it. Ebooks, checklists, white papers, whatever, roll their eyes. And, and, and I'm not totally poo pooing them either because, you know, good content works in really any form, but a content offer comes in a variety of formats, right? Content offer could be a calculator. It could be some type of free consultation, a free trial. It could be a number of different things that is, you know, a free way to. Um, on behalf of the prospect to try and deepen the relationship and demonstrate value.
0: That's great. Thank you.
1: So what advice would you have for maybe a startup founder who is listening to all of this and is like, this sounds great. I don't feel like I have something like this in place yet. What advice would you have for them if they're kind of just starting out or maybe have a spreadsheet that they've been using to track leads?
2: Yeah, I mean, so are you talking about like CRM in general or more on, the, more on like the lead and deal management side?
1: Um, I was thinking more on the lead and deal management side.
2: Yeah. So um, in a world where I'm not just going to say, schedule a meeting with me, um, <laughs> uh, because I mean, we do a lot of those like free strategy sessions just to help people because that's like a content offer that's good for us. Um, I, would, I would first, here's, here's the, the one quick, easy thing to do is, um, well, I guess kind of two. So go to sales management and executive leadership and ask them if you could wave a magic wand and get all the best reports that provide uh, uh, intelligence into different aspects of the sales process, what would be on those reports? And maybe they would say something like, oh, I want to see like average size deal broken down by different product right? Or close one ratio by industry or something like that, right? And they maybe would rattle off a couple. Um, Not only are those reports you should build, but you can't build those reports unless the data is captured, right? So those are your clues to, okay, these are data points that we need to configure within the deal pipeline and require reps to populate as they advance deals. So when you move a deal to a stage like needs analysis complete or discovery complete, you should know the industry you should know the deal type you should know their pain points right so match it with information that there's no way a rep could not gather in order for a deal to reach that milestone on the other side do the same thing with um your implementation or customer service team right what information do you need to set up a, a new customer from a closed one deal run a kickoff meeting right those are your clues for things to require uh in order to move a deal to closed one. Now you're streamlining that handoff, that onboarding process. That information gets captured. Not only can you report on it, but it can automatically you know, create a ticket or, or, or an email to the rep with all the relevant information. Now they don't have to go chase you down. So it's, those are some concrete examples. The broader point is don't just view lead and deal management as um, a, a sales mechanism right? As as a procedural requirement or project management for sales. And think about it beyond just like the forecast. Most companies, their deal pipeline really just exists so that managers can forecast what's coming in and when, right? Realize that it's the deal pipeline is the major inflection point for growth and that marketing feeds into it and, and customer service and operations feeds out of it and position it as that tool that can be the, the main source of truth for growth, within an organization.
0: You know, and growth is definitely something that startup founders want yes. and they need. And, you know, just listening to us have this conversation, it sounds like a lot of work to set all this up. And we said, it's gonna take a lot of time. So it does this in the long run help founders or save them time? Let's say they don't have any, but you know, maybe they don't have sales reps yet and they're the one that's yeah. taking all of this on. How does this help them and save their time?
2: Great question. So technically speaking, um, it takes, there are investments in time, especially on the front end, right? You have to, and honestly, you could do a decent job at this in like an hour or two and have a pretty workable, um, you know, surface level pipeline. Um, So there's a little bit of time up front to do it. And then there's technically, if you're talking about building what we call pipeline discipline or pipeline integrity. So, you know, you have stages, you require yourself to capture information to meet those milestones. Technically, you're adding 10 seconds or 30 seconds every time you know you you work a deal personally i don't think that's a lot but on the back end right is really where you save your time because not only are you getting reports quicker you're analyzing data quicker but then you can also facilitate internal notifications or escalations things like that maybe not so much on the solopreneur level but as soon as you get more than one person and other people need to collaborate on things um, you can you can really facilitate communication from the beginning all, all the way through the entire process of actually working deals um through automation. And it's it's always compounding in terms of how it can save time.
0: And this can save time not just with HubSpot but other CRM platforms Definitely. as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Everything that we, we use HubSpot because you know, that's just we're we're big, we're exclusive to HubSpot, but um, yeah, I want to, be, that's a good point. I want to be clear that anything I talk about with regard to HubSpot, although I think it's the best for the vast majority of businesses, like there are other platforms that can do this, right? Um, so yeah, definitely by no means the only platform that can do this. Platforming, this conversation is platform agnostic, to be clear. You
1: good are not, this conversation. If HubSpot wants to pay me to have this conversation,
2: <laughs> then maybe, but until...
1: HubSpot, are, are you listening? We are we not are sponsored it. yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, why don't we flip a little bit just to you as a founder of The Gist. How has it been um, growing your business in Buffalo? Are you from Buffalo originally? Could you speak a little more to that?
2: I thought you were going to ask, do you speak any other languages?
1: (laughs) Also that. Um,
2: (laughs) I was pretty good at Spanish back in the day because that was like the one AP course I took in high school. And then my job, my summer job in college was um, pool construction. So there were, I was one of six laborers and it was myself and five Ecuadorians. Sure. So I did, I did speak a little bit of Spanish. I'm not from Buffalo, I'm from Connecticut. So went to St. Bonaventure and that's what brought me up to Western New York. And then as I was graduating um, or getting ready to graduate, I just decided to move here because I didn't want to move back home with my parents. Uh, and Buffalo was affordable and I just met a zillion people uh from Buffalo down at down at St. Bonaventure and everybody from Buffalo would always rave about it. I thought it was weird. So honestly, I thought like I don't know, what better place to be than somewhere that everybody likes to be. So I came here and I got my master's degree and um I worked in sales and um really in in marketing and advertising. I worked at um a couple of different smaller um advertising agencies over a couple of years. Then I went client side and uh, led a small marketing department um, for what was my client, then my employer, complete payroll. And I was there for four years and that, that job was awesome. It was very transformative, but I always had the bug to want to start something. So officially at the end of 2019 is when um, I started the gist and it's been an incredible process. One of the things that I've really grown to appreciate is that as a founder, um, there are the, there is a different skill set to start a business than there is to grow and scale a business, mm-hmm. and what I've learned is that the skills required to start a business are very inherent to me. Um, I like I like marketing, I like sales, I like presenting. Um, in order to grow and scale, you got to flip it on its head and just it's all about organization, operations, systems, processes. Those are less intuitive to like a type B kind of spontaneous, you know, spontaneous person like myself. Fortunately, uh, my team is amazing. I always joke that like they save me from me, honestly, because they are, they are process driven systems thinkers, and we have a really, really good collaboration going. But I Is
0: your team in you, Buffalo? Are they Oh, uh,
2: So three are, two are in the uh, greater Nashville area. So, um, and then we work with a number of, um, you know, real, we have really close relationships with, we call them like our extended team, but they're just like independent contractors. And I mean, some of them work with us as if they were a... Uh,
0: really an extension of your team. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, some of them That's have cool. like just email addresses and work like, are work very, very close with us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really been the biggest thing. It's been so rewarding, um, growing this, this agency. It's been incredibly grueling. Like I definitely, honestly, I, I recommend it to everybody, but I also don't necessarily recommend it to everybody. I, I believe I always try and push people to, you know, if they have a dream or idea to go do it because it's, it's just so fulfilling, but at the same time, um, you know, there, there have been some sacrifices for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, and- End of twenty nineteen sounds like maybe a slightly precarious time to have
0: yeah. started a business oh, with what yeah. followed.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Especially in marketing, money. coming from marketing, that was a weird year.
2: It was but- a really weird year. What I will say is that, um, and, and I did not realize this at first, but in hindsight, the the that the pandemic accelerated because it didn't invent it. it; those that that all of the movements were bubbling, but it just obviously really accelerated it, kind of did help our business in some ways um, because businesses realize that, well, there's no networking events. It's borderline offensive to cold call somebody. Like we, we need to build, we need to like attract people like inherently and organically. And um, that definitely did like towards the end of 2020 really start to like, things were shaky for a little bit. Um, But towards the end of 2020 and into 2021, we experienced a lot of growth because they just realize that they need to protect themselves from you know third parties and and you know outside circumstances
0: okay so you are growing here in seneca one out of serendipity labs and seneca one is buffalo's tech hub where 43 north is headquartered so how has being being part of this ecosystem and just being in buffalo in general help propel your growth for your business
2: that is a phenomenal question so a lot of my friends and family from back home make fun of me for becoming such a Buffalo booster, yet not really living here. Um, one of the things I noticed early on, start with Buffalo in general, is that uh, obviously everybody talks about like what a what a sense of community that exists here, and and that is that is really substantive. Um, Buffalo is is like it's it's small enough where you're never more than one or two degrees of separation from anyone. Um, but it's also big enough where you can actually leverage that, right? Like, cause that's true about my hometown, but it's so tiny, right? So here there's, there, it's a nice happy medium between close knit and yet size and opportunity. So I think Buffalo in general is really, um, really conducive for that. Fortunately, when I moved here and I had sales jobs, I started like doing lots of networking out of fear of being homeless, that I wouldn't be successful in my career, so, I just threw myself into networking, and that's still like benefiting today. so i have I have a pretty decent um network at this point. Um, at, and it's it's just helped me tremendously. As for being here in in the tower and in serendipity, it's it's just incredible. i I loved working from home at first. Um I was working at home before the pandemic, so that changed nothing. Uh, but I just got cabin fever. I've got three young children. It just became too much to manage. I wanted a dedicated space. So one, just like being in this beautiful office and having that like that compartmentalization between work and, and, and home is great. Being connected with all of the different, same floor of all the different businesses uh, just on serendipity, let alone the whole tower. You just feel that energy, right? So from like an emotional standpoint, it's very rewarding, but then a little bit more tangibly, I mean, you just run into people all the time. Like a, one of our clients is a recent 43 North winner. I bumped into them in the cafeteria the day after the the pitch night uh, back in October. And she's like, oh, I, let's talk. I want your car. Like, you know what I mean? So just having that is just so incredible. And you just you just feel the energy of all these people, like trying to do great things together. It's so contagious. Um, and then obviously translates into real connection. So. There's nowhere else I'd rather be right now.
0: I love that. And that's one thing that our founders, when they get here, they always say that is, you know, we talk about these connections. We talk about how easy it is to, you know, people actually give out phone numbers, you know, and find mentors, find clients, whatever it is. And then they get here and they're like, no, but really like you run it to them at the cafeteria. That's how easy it is. And like someone asks
1: you for coffee or like, is like, let's grab coffee. And I'm so used to people like saying that and you never hear it from them again. And that's like an amazing thing about Buffalo too, is it's like, they want to get coffee with me. (laughs) It will happen.
2: And they send you a LinkedIn message or it's like, yeah, so how about next Tuesday or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's
1: great. Yeah. yeah. Um, could you speak a little bit more as we're wrapping up just to how your experience has been working with some of our 43 North companies? I know you mentioned the one from Finals. Yeah.
0: And yeah. So. Um, or any startups in general. and Yeah.
2: Yeah. So definitely have worked with um, a number of uh, of startups, some that have applied to 43 North, some that have, have won. Um, I really, really like it. First of all, we focus more on the B2B market. Not 100% exclusive, but but pretty close to that. Um, Just because what I was talking about earlier with long product purchase cycles, needing a CRM, marketing, sales alignment, those type of companies just lend themselves to like what our core strengths are. Um, One, I'll just hit on it again. It's exciting. They're building something new. There's growth. There's optimism. It's fun to be a part of that. Um, They often present like very unique challenges, right? One of the things that as we have evolved more um, as a business that we need, we need to start getting into is figuring out how to align tech stacks. Whether that's you know uh, configuring integrations or building custom APIs, like these are the things that we're we're getting into now. So, um, in fact, doing so has prompted us to we're actually we've built our own um, API uh, in the in the uh, that we're going to sell into the HR industry that connects one commonly used software with HubSpot we're going to sell that for our own subscription. So if I wasn't connected to a lot of these companies doing some of these things, learning from them, like not only is it great to have that that business, that client base, that energy, but it's prompted us to level up and grow and and kind of become a little baby SaaS company ourselves. So uh yeah, I'm just a really big fan and and you know, I think I think a lot of the other people within this ecosystem feel the the same energy and and optimism that I do. So you're working with good people. You want to work with people Mm -hmm. like that. So, and it's a privilege too, you know, we can't take it for granted.
1: Yeah, no, that's really awesome. It's like, we agree. Like you can feel the energy in this building and it just makes you want to do more and try new things and keep innovating. So that's great to hear. Um, Thank you so much again for joining us today. Before we go, could you just tell our listeners where we can find you? This is your time for the sales pitch. Go ahead.
0: Yeah.
2: The sales pitch? Okay. <laughs>
1: Where's
0: um, your website? Comment, Twitter or anything?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so website is thegistinbound.com. Uh, you can learn about our services. You could subscribe to our emails and we have a whole bunch of other resources. Um, and then the other sales pitch I'm going to make. Yeah, okay. If you're interested in CRM implementation and inbound marketing, talk to me, book a time on my calendar. But I recently became the, the leader of the local Buffalo HubSpot user group completely unaffiliated with um, my business, but it's just a group of people who use HubSpot or want to get better at HubSpot to actually meet in real person, um, uh, share ideas, share challenges. So we're actually having our first meeting in a a long time uh, at 43 North um, on May 1st. So very excited about that. But um, reach out to me if you're interested in connecting with other local HubSpotters.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And congrats on that role. That's yeah. really great. But I really love this conversation. This is such a great testament that you don't have to be a founder and you don't have to be a developer to be part of Buffalo's tech and startup ecosystem. You can be a marketer, you can have all different roles and kind of be tech adjacent. So, and, you know, maybe you will be a SaaS company one day, who knows when you're going to be involved, but thank you so much. Uh, we really enjoyed this conversation and we look forward to seeing you around the North floor um, often and colliding with you many times in the Seneca One Tower. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you thanks so much, CJ. We great. appreciate it.